The reading is taken from the book of Daniel, chapter 6. It pleased Darius to appoint 120 satraps to rule throughout the kingdom, with three administrators over them, one of whom was Daniel. The satraps were made accountable to them so that the king might not suffer loss. Now Daniel so distinguished himself among the administrators and the satraps by his exceptional qualities that the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. At this, the administrators and the satraps tried to find grounds for charges against Daniel in his conduct of government affairs, but they were unable to do so. They could find no corruption in him because he was trustworthy and neither corrupt nor negligent. Finally, these men said, we never find any basis for charges against this man, Daniel. Unless it has something to do with the law of his God. So these administrators and satraps went as a group to the king. May king Darius live forever. The royal administrators, prefects, satraps, Advisers and governors have all agreed that the king should issue an edict and enforce the decree that anyone who prays to any god or human being during the next 30 days Except to you, your majesty Your majesty Shall be thrown into the lion's den Now, your majesty Issue the decree and put it in writing so that it cannot be altered in accordance with the laws of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be repealed. So King Darius put the decree in writing. Now when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened toward Jerusalem. Three times a day, he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to his God, just as he had done before. Then these men went as a group and found Daniel praying and asking God for help. So they went to the king and spoke to him about his royal decree. Did you not publish an edict that anyone in the next 30 days ought praying to any god or human being except you, your majesty would be thrown into the lion's den? The king answered The decree stands in accordance with the law of the Medes and the Persians which cannot be repealed. Then they said to the king Daniel who is one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, your majesty, or to the decree you issued. He still prays three times a day. When the king heard this, he was greatly distressed. He was determined to rescue Daniel and made every effort until sundown to save him. Then the men went as a group to King Darius and said, uh, Remember... Your Majesty. That according to the law of the Medes and Persians, no decree or edict 
making issues can be changed. So the king gave the order, and they brought Daniel and threw him into the lion's den. The king said to Daniel, May your God, whom you serve continually, rescue you. A stone was brought and placed over the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet ring and with the rings of his nobles, so that Daniel's situation might not be changed. Then the king returned to his palace and spent the night without eating and without any entertainment being brought to him, and he could not sleep. At the first light of dawn, the king got up and hurried to the lion's den. When he came near the den, he called to Daniel in an anguished voice. <laughs> Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to rescue you from the lions? Daniel answered, May the king live forever. My God sent his angel and he shut the mouths of the lions. They have not hurt me because I was found innocent in his sight. Nor have I ever done any wrong before you, your majesty. The king was overjoyed and gave orders to lift Daniel out of the den. And when Daniel was lifted from the den, no wound was found on him because he had trusted in his God. At the king's command, the men who had falsely accused Daniel were brought in and thrown into the lion's den, along with their wives and children. And before they reached the floor of the den, the lions overpowered them and crushed all their bones. Then King Darius wrote to all the nations and peoples of every language in all the earth. May you prosper greatly. I issue a decree that in every part of my kingdom, People must fear and reverence the God of Daniel. For he is the living God and he endures forever. His kingdom will not be destroyed. His dominion will never end. He rescues and he saves. He performs signs and wonders in the heavens and on the earth. He has rescued Daniel from the power of the lions. So Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus, the Persian. Well, thanks to the McCaig family for that brilliant reading with the dog as well. I love it. Um, now, if you're younger and you're going to be heading off uh, to do your own activities, have a, have a great time doing that now. And we'll see you at the end when we come back together for a final song. If you're staying, do keep Daniel 6 open in front of you. And let me lead us in a prayer as we come to look at these words. Heavenly Father, we once lived in the world but didn't know its creator. We, we enjoyed the world's blessings but didn't know their provider. And we even saw and felt our many needs but we didn't see Jesus the Saviour. So thank you for sending your Spirit who has given us knowledge and sight. And as we look at your word again today, please help us to know and see Jesus more. Amen. Now, I have got 30 pence in my pocket. And, and before you think, well, what good is that? Let, let me tell you about Mick Gibbs, because back in 2001, he was watching the Champions League final. Uh, it finished one all. It was between Bayern Munich and Valencia. And the reason he was watching it, true story, is because the previous year he had placed a 30 pence bet. He needed to predict 15 winners from uh, all of the English football leagues from some 
cricket uh, and rugby tournaments and some other some other tournaments as well. And the final one was the Champions League final. Unbelievably, the first 14 winners had all come in. And the last one was the Champions League final. He picked Bayern Munich and they were in the final, but the match had just finished one all. So it was penalties. You can imagine how he was feeling, edge of his seat. Bayern missed their first penalty. Valencia scored their first two, but then missed their next two. After 11 penalties, it was 6-5 to Bayern Munich. Pellegrino stepped up for Valencia. He was against Oliver Kahn, the, the Bayern keeper. Uh, the shot was taken. Kahn dived to the right, and he guessed the right way. Saved the penalty. Bayern won, and the 30 pence bet became half a million pounds. Can you believe that? 30 pence, 30 pence becomes half a million pounds. Now I think, I think gambling is a waste, but, but you gotta wonder, haven't you? Just imagine if someone said they, they could give you a, a guaranteed winner to back. Look, actually this morning, forget about the 30 pence, think about something else. Think about your life and imagine, I mean, what would you say if someone said, look, here's the thing to risk it all on. And if you do, the thing you're risking it on is a guaranteed winner and it will, it will transform your life into something amazing. Now, if that's even remotely intriguing, then you're going to love Daniel 6. Because God is saying here, look, the Christian life feels like habitual risk, but it's backing a guaranteed winner. Look, come and look at it with me. There, there's obvious risk in the story, isn't there? I mean, it's got, it's got lines in it. I once asked my friend, Hannah, what's the riskiest thing she'd ever done? And she told me she'd, she'd changed a tire on a Land Rover. And I thought, it doesn't seem that risky. But then she said, well, it was, it was the first time I'd ever done it and I was with a friend and she'd never changed a tyre before either. And also we were in the middle of the Serengeti game park and we'd just driven past a pride of lions. So my friend kept watch while I learned how to change a tyre and do it as quickly as I could. And I thought, yeah, fair enough, that, that is risky. Uh, lions introduce risk. And we've got lines in this story. But actually this whole chapter seems to be set up with the idea of, of dealing with risk and, and achieving gain. The beginning of the chapter, did you notice? Darius the king appoints some career politicians to look after his kingdom and, and Daniel is among three of the top. And their job is to look after everything. See verse two? So that the king might not suffer loss. But the chapter ends with the hope that everyone in some way will find the, the pathway to prosperity. That's verse 25. May you prosper greatly. It's for everyone, whoever you are. It's worth noting, isn't it, that anyone who poses with a Bible needs to be crystal clear that its message is, is offering good news to everyone, old or young rich or poor, black or white, without prejudice, may you prosper greatly. And I want to show you what that prosperity is and, 
and how you find it. And, and so at the heart of this chapter, you, you meet Daniel again, and he seems to demonstrate the Christian life feels like habitual risk, but it is backing a guaranteed winner. Now, the, the, Tory, the story is, is told with all the drama of a Champions League final. It, it's really a game of two halves. And did you spot there's two teams? There's Daniel and his political opponents. And there's two decrees that are issued. One is to treat human power as if it's a god you can use. That, that's verse 7. You, you pray to the king. And one is to recognise that real power belongs to the true God only. That's, that's verse 26. Uh, and there's also not one, but, but two encounters with lions. And when you get down to read verse 24, you begin to see that, that Persian power is pretty ruthless. And understand what the Bible's doing here. It, the Bible's not prescribing this is the direction that, that good leaders should go. It's merely describing this is the direction that human leaders often go. Uh, they often want to dominate and in cruel ways, and, and we see that. But here we've got two teams, two decrees, two, two encounters with, with lines, and, and yet only one winner. If you like, the, the chapter is, is putting before us the, the possibility of the, the prosperous life. But it says, look, there, there might be two teams that you, you might choose to back, two pathways you'll you consider traveling, two ways to live. And one of them, it looks solid and strong. And the other looks risky and weak. One of them looks like it employs power and position and, and basically doing whatever it takes. And one looks like it employs risking it all on God and only doing what he says is right. And the chapter says, look, choose wisely. It's what we've been saying. The Christian life feels like habitual risk. And yet Daniel 6 says, says, look, whoever you are, whatever you do, we, we might not face death at the jaws of a lion, but one day we will face death with a virus, with an illness, with an accident, with just old age. And when you and I, on that day, drop into that particular lion's pit, will you have someone who can pull you out the other side? Because Daniel did. Gosh, that would be something. Look, forget your money, forget your 30 pence or even your, your half a million pounds. On that day, if, if you had someone who could pull you out the other side, you, you would feel prosperous no matter what else you've got in your pockets. And Daniel 6 wants to show us not just, not this something, but the someone who can bring you out the other side. Verse 26, Darius writes, I issue a decree that in every part of my kingdom, people must fear and reverence the God of Daniel. For he is the living God and he endures forever. His, his kingdom will not be destroyed. His dominion will never end. He rescues and he saves. Now, Daniel's life was risky, but he picked the right team. Those of you in Pathfinders are, are grafted. Have you got this clear as you kind of 
head out on the Christian life. Those of you who have been Christians for some time, and maybe your life has begun to feel a little bit settled, at least until recently, but are you remembering this? Those of you who are just beginning to think about the Christian life, it's good to understand this. The Christian life feels like habitual risk, but it's backing an absolute winner. And God says, look, to help persuade you, I'm going to do something out of the ordinary with Daniel so that you can look at him and see some of the ways I work and, and what it means to live trusting me. We'll see more about that in a moment. But before we do, why not just think about this idea that the Christian life feels like habitual risk, but it's backing a guaranteed winner. And, and while you do, we're going to sing our next song. So as the music begins, let's stand together. We'll do it back down. We're thinking about this idea, the Christian life. Well, it feels like habitual risk, but it is backing an absolute, backing a guaranteed winner. So what not to do and, and what are we to do? Well, here's the first thing to see. Don't make an idol out of human power. If you've been going through Daniel with us, you might have spotted as we read this week that, that chapter six feels a lot like chapter three because in, in both these chapters, God's people are in danger. Back in chapter three, it's a fiery furnace. Here in chapter six, it's the lion's den. But the, they're not just a rerun uh, with the kind of swapping of furnace for fur. No, no, there's other differences alongside the similarities. Now, in, in chapter three, there's a king who wants to kill God's people, but he fails. And then here in chapter six, it's a king who wants to save God's people, but he fails as well. And you sense what, what God's trying to press home. Make sure you don't think that the key to this secure life is, is just getting the right leader in place. Don't make an idol out of human power. God's showing that, look, unless he permits it, Nebuchadnezzar can't kill you and Darius can't save you. So in life or in death, if you want real hope, you're going to have to have something more. A new president or prime minister might be great. A new boss might be really good for you. A new set of friends might be lovely. But, but don't make an idol out of human power. You notice when trouble comes this time for Daniel, he's been promoted again. And in verse 4, everyone says about him, he is, he is not corrupt and he is completely competent in his work. In verse 3, he has the respect of the king who thinks he is exceptional. And I think as we read on to verse 20, I think a writer wants to suggest to us that, that Daniel not only has the respect of the king, he also has his affection. Uh, he is liked by the man who's the top of the world. Now Daniel has has lived for God, he's, he's worked with integrity, he reaches the top in a sense, and then without warning, for no good reason, trouble comes. And you feel what the chapter's saying. It's saying to us, do you think you could match Daniel? Could you match Daniel for integrity of character, for, for competency at work, for career success, for, for influential friends? 
And even if you think you could, the chapter says, well, look, it wouldn't guarantee your position would be secure. So don't make an idol out of human power. It will never save you. But it's tempting, isn't it? And I remember a friend way back telling me he'd, he'd once been invited out by some work colleagues and some of the bosses came along. They, they went out for a drink. They had a few drinks and then some of them said, we're going to go to a strip club. And at that point, my friend said, guys, I, I'm going to head home now. And one of the bosses said, no, you're going to come with us unless you want me to think less of you. And you can understand how that would feel. Gosh, my, my position in this company, the, the possibilities of promotion, how I'm going to do it at work, it, it's tied up with how this guy thinks of me. And Daniel 6 says, never make an idol out of human power. Or, or maybe you're a teenager and, and your schoolmates are planning, as we hopefully come out of lockdown, they're, they're planning to have a kind of get-together, start hanging out together on Fridays just to have some fun. But it's Pathfinders. Or it's grafted and you feel it. You think, oh, if I say to them, I can't come because of this. They, they'll just think, I know what they're like, they'll just think church is so way uncool and, and this group would be so good for me, it would secure me socially. And Daniel 6 says, look, don't make an idol out of human power. It will never save you. And you might say, but it, it feels risky. Uh, and I say, I know, I feel it too. But the Christian life feels like habitual risk but it is backing a guaranteed winner. So what should we do? Well, don't make an idol. Don't make an idol out of human power, but, but do make a habit out of walking with God. I mean, if you didn't know the end of the story, as you read it, verse 10 would seem like a complete own goal, wouldn't it? You're not allowed to pray to anyone but the king for 30 days. And so the first thing Daniel does is go home and praise to God. Now, there's, there's good lessons on praying here. If we were just thinking about praying, there, there's much to learn from Daniel. Verse 10, his praying is regular, three times a day. It's humble. He gets down on his knees, and you understand what, what he's doing with his body reflects the condition of his heart. He's a humble man, and he's grateful. This man who's in exile and who's suffered lots, he gives thanks to God. There's loads to learn from him. But I think you look a little bit longer and you see there's something more. You, you notice that he, he prays towards Jerusalem. And I, I don't think that is just meant to be nostalgia. No, no Jerusalem at that time, it, it was the emotional and, and spiritual heart of the people of God on earth. It's where the temple had been. It, it's the place where, where God's saving plans of forgiveness and rescue for people had been visibly signed there in the sacrifices that were offered. God said, because, because of your sin, you're, you're very far away from me and you can't fix it, but I, I will provide a sacrifice for you to forgive your sin and be able to, to bring you back. Daniel, in, in praying towards Jerusalem, he's praying that God's saving plans for all these people would continue to be worked out. God, please forgive them. Turn them back to you. Comfort and encourage them. Rescue us. And he does that every day, whatever's happening. 
And at that point, you realize that there's something very different going on with Daniel. We, we'll all have prayed, won't we? We'll all have prayed urgent prayers when things feel really hard. And Daniel would have done that as well. But I think a writer wants us to see Daniel's prayer isn't frantic panic. It's regular habit. And the shape of his prayers is not trying to persuade God to do something to help him now. No, but asking God to do the good things he's promised and thanking him, knowing that whatever happens in the short term, in the long term, Daniel will be safe. Now, this is the person. This is the person in the church family who, who you know is really quite ill and they still show up to Prayer 150, our monthly prayer meeting, as they always do, and they pray for you. You know what's going on in their life, but they pray for you, for your comfort and encouragement as you, as you follow Jesus. And as you look at them, you think, where do you get that kind of momentum for your life? Where does that come from? Where does that momentum come that causes you to face risky hardship with a hope in God that carries you through? When I was younger, after I'd become a Christian, I... I started kneeling by my bed to pray before I got to sleep at night, and I've been doing it for decades now. And so much so uh, that if I ever get into bed without praying, I just can't seem to rest and relax. I've got to get, get up again and kneel and pray. It's, it's almost as if that praying has got a momentum of its own. It keeps me going even when I forget. And I thought about that. I, I felt quite pleased. And then I read Daniel 6 and I thought, I am still a prayer lightweight. I still need to pick up momentum. It's prayer 150 this week. How easy do you find to make excuses not to come? They're easy to come up with, aren't they? I don't think Daniel would tell you off. He doesn't strike me as that kind of a man. But I think he might say to you, look, I know it's counterintuitive, but when I face death, it was the years of walking with God that built up the momentum, that carried me through. Those of you engrafted or pathfinders, start young. Make a habit of walking with God. And don't think things like Prayer 150 is just something for the grown-ups. It's, it's for anyone who wants to get after God. Come along this week. And yet I wonder if we... If we sometimes hear all this and we still feel that God asks too much, it feels too risky, and it's not enough to just show us, Daniel, you, you need to give us more. And of course, God does. I think one of the brilliant things Steve's done is we've gone through this book is, is keep showing us that the way this book it keeps pointing us beyond itself to, to someone else. And you get that here, even looking at Daniel, you look at Daniel and his life of serving others, his integrity and his innocence, and, and you watch the way his accusers manipulate authorities to have him condemned to death when he's not done anything wrong. And as you look at him and you, you think about him, you, you find yourself going, gosh, gosh, you remind me of someone else. You remind me of someone else and you realise there's almost like a pre-echo of another person in Daniel. And when God walked on earth, in the person of Jesus Christ, 
when he came really and lived a life of serving others. And in an even more profound way than, than Daniel, he was, well, his life had integrity and innocence. And you watch in the Gospels. As his accusers manipulate authorities and have him condemned to death, although he's done nothing wrong. I don't know if you spotted as we read about Daniel. Daniel says to Darius, God sent an angel and he closed the mouth of the lion so that I've not been harmed. But unlike Daniel, even though he said to his friends, he could ask his father and he would send him a whole legion of angels to rescue him. But unlike Daniel, no angel came to shut the jaws of death for Jesus. No, he didn't just come close to death. He went all in. And it was to pay the price for our sin, for yours and for mine. But he came out the other side and it was so that he could bring you with him. The Christian life. It feels like habitual risk, but it's backing a guaranteed winner because it's risking everything on Jesus. And when God calls you to walk with him, he always leads the way. As someone once said, if, if you look at the world around you, you'll wonder how you can ever be safe. But as you look at Jesus Christ, you'll wonder how you can ever really be in danger. The Apostle Paul writes about it this way. We believe that Jesus died and rose again, and so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. That's you and me if we're trusting him. That's you if you will trust him. What's our only hope in, in life and in death? That we belong not to ourselves, but to our faithful Saviour, Jesus Christ. So don't make an idol out of human power. And do make a habit out of walking with God. We're going to sing our final song in a moment. If you've got little ones who are off doing something else at the moment, why not go and get them and invite them to come back through to join us for that? As we get ready for this, what, what do you need to know when, when life feels risky with, with health, with finances, with family? Well, you need to know that you're held by a faithful saviour who can carry you through and that's what this final song speaks about so as the music begins let's stand and sing it together <laughs> 